everybody. Good to sit together. A rare opportunity not to have to do anything all day. I hope so far <coughs> your practice is going okay. And I know that uh, a number of you, of you are new to our practice. Probably, though, you're not new to meditation. Hard to find somebody uh, around here who's never meditated. Probably there are some, but they don't come to all-day sits. So I'm assuming that everyone here, <clears throat> even if you're new to our practice, have, has done practice before. But maybe you haven't uh, practiced Zazen before in the style of Dogen and Suzuki Roshi. So I'm going to uh, begin this morning by saying a word about the specific practice that we do, just to orient you. And, and if, I, as I know some of you are very experienced in Zazen, I hope you won't mind hearing all this again. <clears throat> I've noticed that uh, repetition, you know, doing the same thing over and over again is, is the heart and soul of religious practice. Uh, and that is uh, some consolation to me because I know at this point I'm probably saying the same things I've said a million times before. So, uh, as I understand our practice, and of course... Lots of people have different views. Every, everybody probably has a slightly different understanding of it. But as I understand it, our way of practice is very, very flexible and inclusive. In other words, any possible way that a person could meditate, it really is a part of our practice. So if you already have some kind of meditation practice that you're used to doing, and you want to continue to do, please go ahead and do that, because I think it's all part of the same thing. But classically, uh, we say that zazen is not a meditation technique. Zazen is fundamentally just sitting down in the middle of the universe, in the middle of being alive, and that's all it is. Of course, we don't need a zendo and a cushion and a schedule. We don't need to stop all movement and activity as we're doing today in order to be alive in the middle of the universe, because we're always alive in the middle of the universe. But most of the time, we have various kinds of problems and activities that we're engaged in, and we don't notice our actual life. We don't notice what it really feels like, <clears throat> what it really means to us to be a living being. And according to Buddha, when we lose touch with who and what we really are, we are going to get into a lot of suffering. So we do zazen. We set aside our activity and we just sit. We just sit here uh, with the feeling of being alive. 
as you probably are aware, there, there are some schools of Zen in which while we're sitting, we work on koans, sitting intensely with the essential point of the various uh, Zen stories that we might be assigned to or working with. But even that in the end point is still the same thing. The point of those stories is to help us to go beyond our confused mind and really settle down into uh, who and what we really are. But in our style of Soto Zen, we don't usually sit with koans. We just simply sit. And, and our aim is only to be present as it really is, <clears throat> with body, with mind, with space, with time, as they really are. So as a practical matter, what this means is that we sit down carefully. That's why we have our, our simple but uh, important Zendo rules of how to walk, how to stand, and so on. That helps us to be careful when it's time to sit down. And as you've been instructed, we, we bow uh, with gratitude uh, to the cushion. And we turn around and we bow to, with gratitude to the community because it's the cushion and the community that supports our practice. We face the wall and we arrange our body in an upright, dignified posture. Uh, we lengthen and open the spine. We open the heart area. Uh, if we can, we release tension in the body and sit uh, relaxed but aware with our arms slightly curved. At our sides, we arrange our hands in our laps, the left palm over the right palm, uh, curved palms, thumb tips, just barely touching. So we take time to do all of that in the beginning. <clears throat> then we regulate our breathing in and out. We pay attention to our breathing in our belly, uh, at a spot a few inches below the navel. Sometimes uh, we might breathe out a few strong exhales pressing down on the belly to, to awaken the feeling of the breathing in the belly. But we don't try to do any special kind of breathing. Uh, we just notice that simply paying attention to the breathing changes the breathing. It slows down a little bit, becomes deep, becomes quiet. So we sit, uh, continuing the whole time to pay attention to our posture and our breathing. If we are able to settle down with that, we can also uh, expand the awareness to include the space around us. Uh, we can listen to the sounds inside and outside the zendo. So practically speaking, that's how we focus ourselves. And of course, while we're sitting, we're aware of all kinds of other things that will appear, <clears throat> thoughts, sensations in the body, 
memories, visions, restlessness, anxiety, anger, visions, who knows what would happen. But whatever comes, we, we accept all of it. We, we notice it for what it is. We appreciate it. It's here, it must be here now for a reason. But we don't uh, think about it or speculate about it. We just gently return attention to the posture and the breathing. And this immediate concrete feeling of being alive in this one body, in this one unrepeatable moment of time. So that's it. It's pretty, pretty simple, pretty easy, very plain, um, maybe even a little boring. But I don't think it's boring. I've been doing Zazen regularly for uh, many, many decades. And for me, it's the one thing that is never boring. Somehow Zazen is always interesting because you are very interesting. And being alive is very interesting. Zazen is important not only for its own sake, but for the new life that it brings into your life. Exactly how that happens, I don't really know, <clears throat> but I know that it does happen. Zazen brings about a new life into your life. Maybe it takes you a while to recognize it, but after a while, there's no doubt. The trick is, you have to devote yourself to Zazen. You have to keep on doing it with a certain sense of devotion and discipline. You have to give your heart to it before it begins to transform your life. So that's a little bit about Zazen. <clears throat> I don't know if any of you were here at the sitting last month. I wasn't here myself because I had COVID. I was supposed to be here, but I got COVID. And I gave the talk on Zoom. I don't know what that experience was like for people. It seemed odd to me to be having a Dharma talk from a computer screen or whatever screen we had. And uh, I'm sure the talk that I gave is, is online if you want to listen to it. But in that talk, I, I spoke about Master Guishan, and I recounted a few of Guishan's uh, dialogues. And this morning, uh, I, I'm not going to introduce Guishan again since I did last month, but I do want to talk about him uh, a little bit more. I want to speak about his admonitions, Guishan's famous admonitions. <clears throat> Guishan's admonitions is a kind of, uh, I guess today we would call it a motivational speech that he gave to his monastics when he lived during the 
Tang Dynasty and, and during the next period, the Song Dynasty period, <coughs> his uh, admonitions uh, were printed in a little kind of Buddhist primer that uh, students would read again and again for encouragement. <coughs> and actually Thich Nhat Hanh, who I'm sure you're all aware of, um, has a little book which is his translation of Guishan's uh, admonitions with his commentary. And Thich Nhat Hanh recounts in the introduction that when he was a young monk in Vietnam uh, in the early part of the 20th century, as a novice monk, he chanted the admonitions regularly as a kind of encouragement. So I want to talk about the admonitions uh, on the theory that it would also be encouraging to us. As is usual uh, in religious discourse, one of the main ways that you encourage people to practice is by reminding them how badly things are going to go if you don't practice. <laughs> so that's what Guishan does in this text. Actually, uh, I think that life these days is probably a lot easier and more pleasant than it was in Guishan's time more than a thousand years ago. It would not be unreasonable <clears throat> in 2023, in a time of amazing material prosperity for so many people, excellent medical care, more or less available, <clears throat> and a kind of reasonable government so you can pretty much figure you can go about your business without marauding raiders, you know, burning down your house and stuff. So it would not be at all unreasonable to think that we could maybe live a fairly comfortable life that would go on for a while. Yet even then, as we all know, I think, sickness, old age, and death would come. But, of course, if we're a little younger, why worry about that? Later, if you're a little older, more difficult to forget about stuff like that. So, maybe we don't need any of this drastic Buddhism business. On the other hand, I think we can all see that the world is burning. That there are plenty of problems. Even though there might not be a war here in Marin County or Northern California, there are wars in other places that we are quite aware of. There's plenty of violence lots of mental illness, social and economic oppression, and above all, impending environmental catastrophe. And even though maybe every day we don't see these things 
with our eyes in front of us, we are aware of them and they influence the way we feel every single day, even if we have fortunate conditions. In fact, it's possible that in our era, it is easier than ever to understand that material well-being doesn't necessarily bring a feeling of happiness. That even when the bills are paid and there's food on the table and our house is nice, we can still be pretty anxious and upset. Even when our life, objectively speaking, is quite pleasant. So I think Master Guishan's admonitions still make a lot of sense and, and should motivate us, I hope, as he says, to let go of our worldly attachments, our worldly ambitions and values, and completely give our hearts to practice. And although these admonitions are addressed to monastics and in Thich Nhat Hanh's commentary, he's speaking to his many uh, monastics, people who have literally given up all their material possessions, left their families, and entirely left life in the world, even though that's not our condition. I think we can take these admonitions to heart and they, they can be meaningful to us. So I'm going to begin at the beginning and literally go through Guishan's text uh, and see how far we get uh, this morning. So now I'm reading you the words of Guishan. This is the beginning of his admonitions. As long as you are subject to a life bound by force of habit, you are not free from the burden of the body. That, that I'm reading, I'm going to use uh, Thomas Cleary's translation. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh has a different translation of that first sentence. Here's Thich Nhat Hanh's translation. As a result of conditions brought about by action, we have a body. It's slightly different. Guishan goes on. The physical being given you by your parents has come into existence through the interdependence of many conditions. While the basic elements thus sustain you, they are always at odds with one another. So here, Guishan is making the rather drastic statement that even if we are healthy at the moment and our conditions are good, the body is inherently an instrument of suffering. The body has been produced, he says, by confused actions of the past, and therefore the body is the basic problem. Existence in the material world is the problem. It's the blessing, and it's the problem. The four great elements that make up the body, according to ancient Buddhist physiology, are earth or solidity, air or motion, fire or heat, and water or moisture. These elements hold together to make not only the body, but also the whole physical world 
but the way they hold together is inherently unstable. So no matter what happens, there will always be entropy and collapse. There will always be aging and illness and the breaking up of the body. And this is not an easy thing to bear. So, Guishan is saying, you better take that basic fact into account from the beginning and not live a long time as if that were not the case. It's very unwise to do that. We, you know, we have a Dharma seminar that meets both online and in person every Wednesday. And last week, uh, last Wednesday, we were uh, reading an Emily Dickinson poem about renunciation. And I think I saw somewhere uh, a quote from Suzuki Roshi about renunciation, which I noticed because of the poem. And I forget exactly what Suzuki Roshi said, but it was something like this. Renunciation is not giving things up. Renunciation is accepting the fact that things are constantly disappearing, or something like that. So th that's what Guishan, exactly what Guishan is saying. He then goes on to say this. Impermanence, aging, and illness do not give people a set time. One may be alive in the morning, then dead at night, changing worlds in an instant. We are like spring frost, like the morning dew, suddenly gone. How can a tree growing on a cliff or a vine hanging into a well last forever? Time is passing every moment. How can you be complacent and wasted, seeing that the afterlife is but a breath away? Well, everybody knows time is passing. Moving along with the pages of the calendar, day by day, month by month, So, we might think there's a lot of calendar pages left. But of course, nobody knows exactly how many. But looking a little more deeply than that, we see that obviously time's passage is not exactly like the calendar. It's also immediate. And this is something that you notice very clearly in Zazen. It might not occur to you as a thought, but you experience it. And you feel it poignantly. Every moment comes and goes. You're not even aware that it's here before it's already gone. And once it's gone, that's it. It's, it's completely gone. Total loss of everything 
is actually a moment-by-moment experience. To be honest with you, uh, this uh, has been something I've been thinking about all my life, and I find it extremely confusing and dismaying. Like everybody else, I seem to move through time. I go here, I go there. At this moment, I'm sitting on this seat here at Green Gulch with all of you. A week or so ago, I was sitting on a similar seat in Vancouver, British Columbia. Then I was in Seattle, I was in Portland. In a couple of weeks, I'll be in New York. I see this person, I see that person. I hear sounds, I eat food, and every night I go completely unconscious. And I, and I really don't know how all this happens. And every moment, I'm completely losing what happens. Losing these experiences, losing all these people who are dear to me, and losing my own body and mind, little by little. I find this to be a real catastrophe. The only thing that makes me wonder is how are people willing to live in the middle of this as if it were normal? You know, as if this catastrophe were not unfolding right in front of them. How could this be normal? How could this make sense? How could we all not be literally completely freaked out every single day at sunset when yet another day has flown by and we have no idea what has happened to us. And we don't even know what we've lost. How in the world do we not decide that we are going to do something to address this terrible and most fundamental problem? It's unbelievable to me that we put up with it. This is what Guishan is saying. So what are we supposed to do about it? Here's what he says. Inwardly strive to develop the capacity of mindfulness. Outwardly spread the virtue of uncontentiousness. Shed the world of dust to seek emancipation. So this is how we address it, according to Guishan and Buddha. Inwardly, we are going to pay, radically pay, attention. We are going to truly notice the situation we're in. We're not going to ignore it. We're not going to slide over it. 
In other words, we will be devoted to our practice, devoted to zazen. And this is what zazen is for. To show us what life, what time really is. In case the conditions of our life have not forced us to take notice, as sometimes happens. But as I said before, we're we're practicing this not just in Zazen, but all the time. Zazen is really important because it teaches us how to step deeply into time, how to gently go beyond the conceptual mind that wants to make life seem so simple and reasonable, and instead to enter into the deep, true, richness of how life actually goes and how time actually passes. And this is not something that we think about or or scheme about how we're going to do it or evaluate how well we're doing it. It's beyond that. All we need to do is sit down and breathe and keep paying attention during the whole period of zazen, period after period, all day long to the best of our ability. And then we need to keep on paying attention all the time, even when we are sleeping and dreaming. And I hope, somebody told me that last month at the sitting, when I wasn't here, there were about half as many people here at the end of the day as there were at the beginning. Some people deciding that it was, you know, not worth staying all day just to sit here and do nothing. And I hope that that doesn't happen today. I hope you will take up the opportunity to stay here all day until the end. So when I, when I talk like this, maybe it seems like I'm setting forth a serious, difficult task. But I think it's the opposite. I think, actually, we take our frivolous lives far too seriously. Maybe what we really need to do is stop trying so hard to make our lives enjoyable, to make our lives comfortable, to make our lives into something. Maybe we need to forget all of that and all of our efforts at self-improvement and just let ourselves fall into the moments of our lives and live them. In a way, Doing this is the opposite of effort. We make an effort to sit. Maybe sometimes sitting is not so comfortable or easy. But if we really understand the kind of effort we're making, we realize that it is really effortless. Life of practice is a life of ease and joy. Because we don't have to do it. 
we just have to get out of our own way and let our lives unfold beautifully as they will. I think this is what Guishan means when he says, shed the world of dust to seek emancipation. The world of dust is the typical Zen term for the ordinary everyday world. We need to shed that world like a caterpillar sheds its chrysalis to fly away as a beautiful butterfly. So this is Guishan's description of inward practice. Outwardly, he says, we should practice uncontentiousness. In other words, we should practice kindness, support, love. We should give up fighting all the time, give up scheming to see what we can get, how we can make things work for us, give up our fruitless effort to shape the world to make sense to us. Instead, we should harmonize with the world. We should harmonize with others. With warmth, with love. No more fighting. No more hating. No more contention. He then says, over the ages you have followed objects, never once turning back to look within. Time slips away. Months and years are wasted. So this is our ordinary life. From Guishan's point of view, we're always chasing after objects. And that is what perception itself is. Perceiving something, some object, which immediately we like or we don't like. During our recent practice period, we were studying the Shurangama Sutra, which has a lot to say about perception, about how perception itself, which objectifies everything, objectifies the world, objectifies the thoughts, objectifies the self, objectifies feeling, that's already suffering. When we know that, we begin to soften our perception. We begin to just pay attention to this moment of our lives and we let our conceptual frameworks gently fall away. And then seeing is called non-seeing and hearing is called non-hearing. In the Shurangama Sutra, Avalokiteshvara practices this non-hearing and that is how she hears the cries of the world as they really are. And so her heart is full all the time of compassion. We chant, beings are numberless, I vow to save them. We'll chant that in a moment. What does that really mean? 
It means that we enter into identity with all sentient beings, that we regard from the bottom of our hearts self and other equally with love. Guishan. The Buddha first defined precepts to begin to remove the veils of ignorance with standards and refinements of conduct pure as ice and snow. The precepts reign, R-E-I-N, reign and concentrate the minds of beginners in respect to what to stop, what to uphold, what to do, and what not to do. Their details reform every kind of crudity and decadence. How can you understand the supreme vehicle of complete meaning without having paid attention to moral principles? Beware of spending a lifetime in vain. Later regrets are useless. So here, Guishan reminds us of the importance of precepts, of moral cultivation, that it's the basis and the beginning of the path. And that we have to commit ourselves to restraining our conduct so that we learn to become kindlier and gentler people. And when you begin sitting, I think you begin to see how moral conduct and sitting directly relate to one another. Because the more you sit, the more you notice the pain of mindless and selfish conduct, the more you feel the hurts that you are causing or receiving. And of course, when you feel that pain, you want to clear that up. And the more kind you are in your conduct, in small ways, every single day with others, the more peaceful your sitting becomes and the more refined it gets. And you know what to do and what not to do. You know how to be kind to yourself as well as others. It is very, very clear and very simple. And the only marvelous thing is that you never noticed this before and that you look around and see others not noticing this and you're amazed at the suffering that goes on simply because people don't notice what they're doing. It's interesting that Guishan uses the metaphor pure as ice and snow to describe precepts practice. Maybe this struck you when I read his words. Uh, ice and snow might seem a little uh, cold, right? A little not so nice. Maybe we would have preferred it if he would have said, warm as a spring breeze instead of pure as ice and snow. But on the other hand, uh, we don't have a lot of ice and snow around here, but uh, in the wintertime last year, we were in ice and snow in the wintertime, and it's very nice. It's very quiet. Everything is quiet. Simple, stark, slow. 
in the springtime, lots of things are stirring. And warmth is life. Cold is death or death-ish. And at the same time, uh, I think calm and slow is good. It's not bad when not much is happening. To be quiet with what is rather than to be pushed around by it or rushing around in the face of it might be a good thing. At least it sounds better and better to me all the time. Well, I'm, I've talked a long time. That's about half of Guishan's admonitions. Uh, maybe I'll talk about the rest uh, of, of it some other time. Seems like a pretty quiet day to sit. Thank you all for coming. And for those of you who are here for the first time, I would like to uh, especially welcome you and encourage you to think about returning to sit regularly as a kind of personal discipline. We're here sitting at Green Gulch every single month. As I said, our practice is very simple and very plain. It isn't even meditation. And because of that, its real power and virtue might not be apparent until little by little you begin to give your heart to it and you begin to feel that the practice is something much more than a useful experience that you can access from time to time as you need or want. The whole world is organized now on the basis of payment for a service rendered or an experience had. And I think we need to go beyond that way of looking at things. And that takes a little while. It's a little bit swimming upstream. So I'm, I'm saying, if you feel moved by the practice today, please consider coming back on a regular basis. And I want to say that you are all more than welcome uh, to become a part of our community. I do appreciate uh, your listening to my Dharma talk today. I don't take your listening for granted. Possibly the single most valuable thing on the planet Earth at this moment is human attention. Many people are after your attention, so I really appreciate that you have given it uh, to me and to the Dharma for this Dharma talk. Thank you. <laughs>